Welcome to Campaign Chemistry, a new podcast from Campaign US where we pick the brains of creative alchemists, business wizards, and marketing geniuses behind the world's greatest brands. I'm delighted to introduce this week's guest, Justin Billingsley, the Global Chief Marketing Officer of Publicis Group. Justin has been at Publicis since 2009 in various roles, including as the head of Saatchi and Saatchi in Greater China and the global COO for Publicis Communications, which houses the group's creative agencies. He became global CMO in 2020, and he also leads client relationships with Mercedes-Benz and Nivea under the group's bespoke Power of One model. As CMO, Justin oversees new business and client relationships for the group, as well as PR and communications to help tell the group's story to clients and talent. Hey, Justin, thanks for joining us. It's great to have you here. Thank you, Allison. It's fantastic to be here. Awesome. So we're going to talk a lot about Publicis Group and and new business and the power of one model. Um, But first, I want to ask you about your role, because um, I find the role of CMO at a holding company really interesting. It's kind of meta in a sense. So (laughs) tell me, what exactly do you do? My my job as a CMO of a holding company is exactly the same as the CMO job in one of our clients. I mean, my job is to find growth. And that's the job of a CMO. The job is to understand their consumers. In our case, my consumers are our clients. My job is to understand them, just like our clients as CMOs. And my job is to find ways to help them grow. Um, I think... I think the CMO job in, in, sometimes can be seen as this kind of biz dev or new biz job. And that is certainly a part of my portfolio, but it's only a part of it. Um, mm-hmm. I think it's a good measure of my success. But the, the job of me and my team is to is to work out the right way to position Publicis Group for growth, just like a CMO would do in any one of our clients. And that means I cover PR and comms. It means I cover client transformation, how we help expand our services with the clients we have as well, of course, as business development as well. All of those things are important. But I'm the first CMO um, that we've had at a group level. Uh, I've been in the gig for 10 months. Uh, So I'm sure it's interesting for anyone else listening who's started a new job in a world where you haven't met in real life a lot of the people that you're working with. So, um, yeah. Like myself. Like (laughs) yourself, yeah. So it's been been interesting. But uh, I'm I'm, I'm extremely excited to be doing it. Um, Yeah. And, yeah. So, so why did Publicis create this role ten months ago? Uh, because the time has come. Um, you know, we we've we've we're, we're increasingly from a from a new business and business development perspective, we're increasingly being involved in reviews that are, um, I guess, what we call end to end, full customer journey reviews, and they're not things that can be answered by a creative agency or a digital agency or a data agency or an even experience agency. And when these things are being joined up because clients need to defragment the complexity of their lives, we need to make sure we're telling our story in as comprehensive way as possible. Actually, you know, I have been playing in some respects the role of CMO before I was the CMO. And I was doing that by um, working on and winning some significant new clients by drawing together different skills from across the group. So it was, it was actually, it wasn't so much a, I think the way our tour thinks a lot about talent decisions he, he takes is it's not about here's a job, now let's go and find the right talent. It's here's a talent, and it's not, I'm not saying it's necessarily for me, it's for a lot of people that work with him. Here's someone, how do we structure so they can be successful more often? And in mm-hmm. my case, it seems like, you know, I, I've had, I had uh, some good experience with uh, Mercedes-Benz then with, with Beiersdorf last year of drawing very different people from across our company, bringing together a story that was compelling enough for a client to join us, a new client to join us. So now how do we industrialize that? 
How do we make that into a set of practices? And how can we scale it so that there are more people who are doing that across our business? Uh, and that's what makes it, it's, it's, it's a role whose time has come. It feels very natural to be doing it. Yeah, for sure. And like you mentioned, you've been at Publicis for a while doing this. Um, talk about, you know, maybe some of the clients you've worked on in the past that that led you into this new role and, and why that was successful enough to make it a, a group-wide effort. Yeah, it's, I mean, it, it's, it's, I was a client for 20 years before switching to, to the dark side, to the agency side. Um, in fact, I was Artur's client in my last client job. I was, I was the CMO of the UK, of uh, Orange in the UK. Oh, and the roles Artur, have reversed. And Artur was my suit. He was working at Publicis Conseil at the time. He was a suit. And I was a horrible client. I was an extraordinarily, <laughs> demand, extraordinarily demanding client. And um, I, I think one of the reasons that I ended up joining Publicis was they just said, listen, we've either got to get this guy fired or we should hire him because our lives will be more interesting. So I joined, I joined Saatchi. And, and it's interesting because at the time, my, my, my brief when I joined Publicis was, Justin, make the agency you always wanted when you were a client. And yeah, that, when I joined 10 years ago, that was hard to do because that was still in a world of silos. All the holding companies had silos. We had our fair share of silos 10 years ago as well. I was running one of those silos, the Saatchi and Saatchi silo, and just part of Saatchi and Saatchi. But then five years ago, we started to push those silos together and to remove the barriers that meant we could organize around clients and have a conversation with them that wasn't about a particular part of a problem to solve, but how we can help them find growth. And you know, the sad truth is that sometimes it's the best version of ourselves that comes out in a pitch than comes out in a client you already have. I, I, I can, you can see you nodding along when I, when I say that. It's the nature of our business. It's why you know, our existing clients are always our top priority, always our top priority. We like pitching, though, because pitching keeps your match fit. You know, world records are set at the Olympics and not at the World Championships more often because you're at the Olympics with the best. And you need those pitches to keep your match fit and you then take all those practices back to the clients to help raise the tide for everyone. Now, so after having those first four or five years with the company 10 years ago in a more silo mode, I was lucky enough to be working closely with Artur as he took over the publicist communications job. We worked out how to put the, the creative agencies and the, and the influence agencies together. And then when we was made CEO and I took over as a, in a COO role in a couple of countries, to then work again, how to work out how to make this amazing Lego set we've got fit together and fit together around clients. And then when three years ago, four years ago, the pitch for um, uh, Mercedes-Benz came up, uh, it was a fantastic opportunity for us to show what we could do with this Lego. And we pitched that and we won it. And then we had uh, the Disney Plus or the Disney pitch, which was uh, the largest media pitch on the planet in the last three years, which we also secured. And then last year, Beiersdorf was a fantastic win. There's been some other ones. They're the one, there's some of the ones that I was personally involved in, but they were great opportunities. But what's, what was, it's not so much about winning those things. It's that taking the practices of what made us stand out amongst competitors to then re-import them into improving and growing the relationships with the clients we have, the Samsungs, the Procter & Gamble's, these long-standing partners is really where we've all benefited from it. Yeah, and and Publicis calls this model the power of one, and you know we've we've heard that um, come up over the past few years a lot, and it's won you a, a bunch of new clients that you mentioned: Disney, GSK, Kraft Heinz. Um, why does this model solve the needs of of the clients you're going after today? 
Well, first of all, because it's real. I mean, I think um, yeah, if if you, I'm not going to say things about uh, the people we compete with, but you can call um, a team of people coming together, Team GSK, and say, this is Team GSK. And if they look like they're from the same, uh, they look like they're from Team GSK when, when they're in the pitch room, it's not the same as when they go back to their tribes afterwards. You know, the biggest change and the biggest benefit we had of starting on our power of one you know, client-centric view of the world uh, more than five years ago now isn't about which agencies do you merge and how do you change structures and who reports to who. It was a cultural change. It was a cultural change that I can put most simply as this. Everyone in our world wakes up with two jerseys in their cupboard. They have their team jersey and their country jersey. And some mornings you wake up and slop and put on the team jersey because today is a Saatchi and Saatchi day. And some days you put on your country jersey. Every great athlete in the world has two jerseys in their cupboard. You play for your team and you play for your country. And we worked out that cultural difference, that cultural DNA differently. And that's why the power of one works. When we bring a team together and organize around a client, like building a new bespoke agency of 650 people in three months for Mercedes-Benz, or a new agency with 300 people in actually uh, faster than that for Beiersdorf two years ago, because we all speak a similar language, because we know how to wear that country jersey when we need to, because we can wear the publicist group jersey on behalf of our clients, it's, it's, it, the, the truth is that the truth is that it's the truth. Mm-hmm. You will not have another CMO from another holding company uh, not give a similar answer. The difference is, the difference is that, and it's evidence in the winds, and it's evidence in due course as you speak to some of our clients, that when we build a bespoke model and it's organised around you, it's real, and and the people leave their tribes behind for a while. So the the devil's advocate side of this that other holding companies with different strategies talk about is that, you know, you're killing the brand, you're killing the entrepreneurial spirit of the agency. And um, I think, you know, that that has been apparent in some of the creative agencies, not just at Publicis, but at, at other agencies as that business is under pressure. So how do you make sure that, um, you know, you talk about talent playing for their team and playing for the country? Like, do you feel like that is clear to all talent like are there negative impacts to the agencies on on that front so so we have not merged any agency brands nor have we reduced any agency brands in in recent years nor are there any plans to brands are critical brands attract talent because talent attracts talent and people want to know they're going to be with like-minded people we like those tribes the question is how do we get the right balance how do we get the right t-shaped organization that you have the right tribal specialism but when you have to pull on that jersey that, pe- that, that that's about publicists and organizing around a client, that you aren't leaving any of the quality specialism behind, but you come together to feel like and act like and do like one team for that client. It really, We really do have to find a balance. It's the best of both worlds. Brands matter to us. Our network brands matter to us. That's why others are merging. We're not merging, nor will we. We don't need to because we've cracked the cultural code on having brands and having one company. And I think in terms of this balance of do people understand their jerseys, you know, this is, you know, there's a lot of things that are, have been extremely negative and difficult and still a lot of challenges that, you know, from a human perspective, we have to be very cautious of for what's happened to everyone in the last year. And we're working through that still. But one of the very small silver linings that's come from this has been that 
I think a higher proportion than ever before of people in our world know they work for some something called publicist group. You know, whatever tribe they work for, they know they know they work. They also work for something called publicist group, and it's run by a guy that cares a lot about them. It's run by a guy that would get on calls every two weeks for hours and answer any question they asked. It's run by a guy that made sure that we built Marcel to keep everyone connected so that we saved as many jobs as possible and people can still feel close to each other. It's run by a guy that made sure that we went from, you know, 1,400 offices to 82,000 offices with, within, within about a week. And so this balancing of knowing that you're still part of your tribe, you still belong in a place that attracted you as a talent for what you believe in, but there's a bigger calling, you're part of a bigger team, uh, that kind of uh, getting that balance right is critical. It is hard. Um, it is hard. And we're really happy with the way that we're doing it. Yeah, it's, it's balance for a reason, right? It's, it's yeah. not easy to do. Yeah. Um, so uh, as you kind of lean more into this way of working with clients, would you say that, you know, group group wide pitches are what you're really going after these big global clients where you can grow across the account? And how does that sort of gel with the rise of project work in the industry. Yeah, I think uh, it's not that we're going. It's not that we're going to see this. We are seeing this. If you look at the balance of the billings that have come up for um, review in the last two years, what proportion of them are a, a you know, point? Point to me a creative review. Can you point to me a pure creative review of scale on a global brand that, that that's happened in the last year? Yeah, it's always going to have some add on to it. Because the idea of reviewing creativity is is just not it's just not an effective question. Clients aren't looking for better creativity. Clients are looking for growth, and growth is going to come through managing their creativity well. It's going to be managing through their identity well. It's going to be managing the right channels well, and it's going to be making sure to orchestrate and defragment it so that their lives are as easy as possible. And that's what we're getting reviews on. So I actually don't think the clients are deliberately saying, "I'm going to review all of my scope." What they're saying is, I've got a problem to solve. I've got too many choices to make in a very fragmented, confused landscape of what to either add my next dollar to or to take my next dollar from. And I need a partner that can understand across these things to help me make those choices. Mm. And one of the big benefits, uh, you know, you look at the, you look at through the other lens of the, the compensation models of our industry have gone from input-based pricing where you pay people for how many people wake up on a business to what is predominant now of outputs pricing, so paying for scope. The thing we're moving into now with a lot of these new clients, uh, Mercedes-Benz is a good example of them, Biasdorf is another, is a significant proportion of our compensation is based upon their business doing well. And if you're going to find a partner that's willing to sign up and say, we only do well when you do well, and I don't mean, when I say business doing well, I don't just mean brand metrics, flocking improvement or recall scores of a campaign. I mean, literally, they are selling more cars. And then we and then we perform because that's what real partnership is. But to forge that partnership needs management, it needs attribution, it needs governance. And that's why I think clients are going for these more expansive things. We're going to see more of them. Will there be more project work for truly specialist things that can only be done by, by something? Uh, potentially. When that happens in a client, we're very, very happy to play nicely with others. But we really also see the benefit of joining these things up because it's more mm. efficient, it's more effective, and it's more brand consistent. Yeah, you brought up um, remuneration, which is a really interesting 
part piece of this puzzle, right? Like because Publicis and and, and other holding companies are shape shifting a lot to meet client needs. How are clients also shifting the way that they think about the relationship, and are they are they doing that? Absolutely. Uh, actually, we wish they would do it even faster. And one of the things, well, yeah. <laughs> well, no, but, but because it was, and this is where you know this is where my twenty years as a client matters, um, because it's what I wanted. I wanted to sit across the table from a partner that felt pain when I felt pain, and felt pleasure when I felt pleasure. And if we, if our objectives weren't coupled together, then the chances of those two things happening were low. So in the 10 years since I joined, it's really how do we get to a point where you are truly acting lockstep in partnership and compensation has to be a, has to be a part of that. You know, early on in the, uh, when the pandemic struck, you know, we launched a product called Pact, um, which was a, a media product, a, a guaranteed outcomes media product. So because what's the best thing that we can do for our clients and prospects in a time when massive uncertainty is coming, this is back in April last year, massive uncertainty, don't know what's happening. We make a commitment. We say, okay, let's make an agreement. You invest some media dollars with us. We're going to agree the, the business outcome objectives of that media spend. And if you don't hit those objectives, you get your money back. That's the pact. That's the commitment we make. And because in the US we have these incredible assets that we've integrated, such as the acquisition of Epsilon a year and a half ago, and and you've written recently about um, the degradation of cookies and Google's announcement, things like that. You know, you know how valued being a first-party data owner is now. Um, because we have that visibility and we can track those outcomes, we can we can sit down with with a customer and actually and with a client and actually say, you know, let's let's grow this business together. And when we grow, then you can pay us X. And if we don't grow, then 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 we should change until we can get compensated properly. Um, there has to be some sort of base fee, right? Like you can't just like, how do the models actually look? Because I hear about performance base. I hear about outcomes base, but I don't really understand like what's, I think it's still a lot of FTE. No, I, I, well, I think that we have to, um, first of all, everything's a portfolio. So at the same time across our portfolio, we have some more traditional compensation models. And at the same time, we are experimenting with some bleeding edge version of compensation models. So we're kind of arbitraging risk by looking at which ones are working and it's going to take time to see how they go. But in a general trend, we see a balance between, it'll still be very much outputs-based pricing with with a growing proportion of outcomes-based compensation. So today is that, is outcomes-based compensation roughly 20% of new deals today? Roughly, yes. Um, could that get rise to 50%? I can see a path to it being 50%. And if, it, if it's 50% and those outcomes don't happen, do we recover our costs? Potentially not. Mm. But if we are working to be the best at what we do and working very hard to measure it as we go and attracting the talent that we attract, then we should feel confident to put what we call skin in the game. Yep. And skin in the game means we are risking uh, not performing. Mm. And but because we bring the right team together, because the bespoke model works, because we have the right talent and the right systems, and it's evidenced by publishing the strongest metrics so far out of the holding companies that have published. And when we posted our results two weeks ago, we have the strongest metrics of, of the last year. That resilience of two, th- to, uh, the resilience of our business in 2020 is an indication of our readiness to grow into 2021. Right, and you know a lot of your job is about growth, but. Um... 
you know, regardless of, of performing the strongest, you were still down 6.3% for the year. Obviously, the pandemic played a large part in that. But, you know, Publicis and the other holding company groups have not been growing for at least the past few four or five years I've been covering them. Um, that's That's got to be a lot of pressure on your job. How are you How are you thinking about getting the, the group back to growth as, as the person focused, focused on growth? Well, I think in a pandemic, I mean, as, as the old joke goes, um, you know, when you're with, with a bunch of people and, and you're looking at a lion and, and the lion turns and starts running at you, um, you know, it, it's not my job to outrun the lion. It's just my job to outrun the others. And I think, um, <laughs> I think what we've done last year is we're outrunning the others. Uh, while we're running, we're, we're transforming. And when you look under the hood of the resilience of last year, What's, what's great about our business, because we added uh, six years ago now um, Sapien to the business to give us digital business transformation, and then two years ago adding um, first-party data, a, a data platform in with Epsilon, it meant that when a client um, in, in, in literally this week last year, this week last year was the beginning of things turning off, right? Yep. You, you, when you have a client that is saying, I'm going to reduce media spend, of course you, you should. That's the right thing to do. That's the right decision. Now, because we have these other skills, now is a great time to get your house in order. Why don't we start working on your customer data platform? Why don't we work on your loyalty programs? Because that's really going to matter in a world where there isn't bricks and mortar retail and you're going to want to have a direct relationship. How do we rebalance your budget from the paid side of the media world to the more um, direct and owned side of the media world? And because we have the suite of services and skills across that, means that we could we could help our clients navigate those choices, which is why our reduction in a challenging year was less than our competitors. And I believe, and it's our job to do this, to make sure that the inflection point is even stronger coming out. So you mentioned um, Sapient and Epsilon, two big acquisitions for the group over the past few years. Um, part of your role is external comms and, and telling the publicist group's story. But I think, and this was prior to your to your role, but the Sapien story, um, I think, was a little lost on clients and investors. And now, with Epsilon, you have, um, you know, you mentioned that you have that strong first-party data component, but Epsilon also does have a lot of cookie-reliant um, technologies and assets as part of the group. We now have all these announcements coming from Google that are kind of throwing the media buying side of the industry into a bit of a tizzy. Um, how do you explain what Publicis and Epsilon? can do for clients and and explain it in a clear way that they can understand so we've done a lot of work on exactly the question you've asked so i'm thankful that you've asked it thank you i wasn't <laughs> expecting it yes. normally someone says oh are there any questions you'd like to be asked and it's like well a question i'd like to be asked is what's your proposition but i, I would never think that someone would actually ask so since oh, i was thinking that you wouldn't <laughs> answer this one so please go ahead no, i mean so our, we, our proposition is this we, our clients are competing in a platform world and that platform world are all these, all these horizontal relationships the, between buyers and sellers and speakers and listeners and, you know, creators and consumers, all of the different platforms that are sucking up human attention, okay? Our clients compete on how to maintain a relationship with their consumers in a platform world. And we think it's going to get harder and harder to do so. It's going to get harder to find growth and it's going to get harder to keep margin in that platform world. And so our proposition is this, Publicist Group helps our clients unlock growth in a platform world. And there are four parts to this, and we need all four parts, and they bring together exactly the parts of the business you referred to. 
First of all, we believe our clients need an identity solution that means they know their real customers. You cannot rely on renting information about your customers for very much longer. And you actually just said that in, in the question itself. You need the highest resolution, most persistent, owned, first party view of your own customers to the greatest extent possible. There's no point knowing something about someone if you're not interesting. <laughs> and so then we need to have great creative experiences that feed from and into that data to drive people on their journeys. You need to be in the right channels, in the right place at the right time with the right message to nudge them on those journeys. And last of all, we need to help our, our clients b build back actually the origins of their businesses, build back the direct relationships they used to have to make sure that when there's an opportunity for them to have a D2C consumer model or a subscription relationship or whatever the case may be, with Sapient, we can actually build those things end to end. We can actually go in and build your commerce platform. Did you know that on Black Friday and Cyber Monday last year, uh, almost four out of every $10 outside of Amazon went through commerce platforms that were built by publicists? Okay, we're a great advertising company. We're a great media company. But we're actually a great technology transformation company as well when you've got stats like that. And um, you know, it's good to be good at these four things. So that's data, creativity, you know, media, the right channels, but also direct relationships. The real magic, going back to the very first thing we talked about today, is to be able to orchestrate across them all. Okay? We, we don't just play the instruments well. We conduct the orchestra well. And that's why we're a great partner to the clients in these bespoke models, because we understand how these different bits can fit together and to help them navigate in, frankly, what a really challenging, what's a really challenging environment. So that's the proposition. Publicist Group helps clients unlock growth in a platform world. That's what we do. Well, talking about a platform world, um, I think the piece about, you know, the the loss of third party cookies and um you know tracking the way that it had been done in the past will actually lead more spend to go into the platforms because they can still offer that type of measurement do you see that happening at publicist group in terms of or across the industry at large just from your experience as a brand like it does this fundamental change to the internet benefit these platforms so we look at this through um do you think that they're, they're, they're making announcements because it isn't benefiting themselves? <laughs> so did Google make a massive announcement because they think it's in the interests of individuals' privacy? Uh, no. Different people benefit from these changes. And our job is to represent our clients and particularly to, to represent also the, consum the, the interests of the consumers of those clients. Yeah? Yeah. Epsilon was a fantastic acquisition to join the family when it already wasn't clear there'd be degradation of third-party cookies. So it was great value two years ago when we, when we started to do that deal. Now, thank goodness it's in the family. Uh, yes, of course, there are some, there are some the, the proportion to which Epsilon technologies rely on third-party cookies is fractional, absolutely fractional mm -hmm. compared to what our competitors offer in terms of identity solutions. It is mm -hmm. far more persistent and far more based on other technologies. And so, we're really excited about having that asset and helping our clients you know, build things up. All the clients, all of our clients are at some point on, I guess, a data maturity curve, if you like, of working out to what extent they want to know things about their individual customers, respecting privacy and GDPR and all of these things, and then what they want to do with the relationships that come from knowing these things. 
But, um, you know, it's probably a good time for us to, to make a proposition of we hope you unlock growth in a platform world when the, the walls around the gardens are, have had another row of bricks put on top of them, yeah, um, I guess is what we're seeing. So what are we going to do? Would you like to rent what you know about your customers from the other side of that wall? Or would you like to work with us and we can help you learn those customers directly yourself? And I think mm. in the long term, the smart clients are working out that the answer is the latter. Yeah, for sure. So I want to talk a little bit about uh, talent and um, the past year obviously has changed the way we work and will probably continue to change the way we work in the future, even as we go back to the office um, differently than we, different than we did before, probably. But how are publicists is, is really leaning into um, you know, both this change in the way we work with Marcel and then also um, in these more collaborative models like Latruc, which is the creative collective that you recently launched. So talk about how you're thinking about um, bringing talent together in the future, whether that's physically or remotely, whether that is that through more more collectives around practice areas like Latruc and how does that sort of factor into the new client models you're building? So if I, if I flick back through the, the archives of Campaign and have yeah. a look at some of the things that Campaign, I don't recall, but probably wrote around the announcement of Marcel of saying there's going to be this AI-enabled thing. It's going to be in people's hands across publicists and you're able to ask her questions and it's going to help, help you learn things and you can put client briefs on there and you can do a job on the other side of the planet. I'm sure I'll find my fair share of scoffing. And you weren't alone. You were not alone. Okay, there was to a be lot fair, of cynicism. I was not the editor when you launched okay. Marcel. <laughs> <laughs> but, but there was there was a lot of cynicism. But you yeah. know what? Thank goodness we had that last year. Thank goodness we had it in place. Because we saved uh, between two and a half and three thousand jobs last year um, that we that otherwise we would have had to make because Marcel helped us asynchronously and a, you know, helped move jobs regardless of geography and regardless of time so that people were doing things for clients in different parts of the world that weren't possible before. It was, an, it was a competitive advantage we had from an operational perspective that we could then pass on to clients so they could access talent seamlessly because all of a sudden, literally in a month, geography didn't matter. Mm. And so we are very lucky that as a business that had leaned into technology first and furthest versus our competitors, we were ready for this change. We are lucky that as a business that uh, acquired a digital business transformation company, we had tools in place that meant we could collaborate quite naturally in a world we didn't see each other. We had a culture of the power of one that already saw us rally around our clients and around you know, a, a, an energetic, strong, clear leadership team as we have. And, and we also had Marcel, which was, some, which was a touchstone that I'm not saying it magically made people feel part of something because it's been tough. I found it tough. People have gone through all different curves on this stuff, being alone, being in different situations, managing things. And, we, we, you know, it's nice to know we're probably past the middle, probably, but um, there's still a lot to do. We focused on safety first. We focused on looking after people. We still focus on safety and people's mental and physical health. But then to give them the tools that we can still serve our customers' needs. And I think we see that in the resilience of our results. Um, yeah. So do you, um, in terms of like 
what's happening in the industry right now with talent, there's a lot of people have been laid off regardless of jobs that have been saved. And and a lot of people are, are just leaving the agency world. They're going freelance. They're joining networks. Do you see freelance playing a bigger role in, in publicists' organization? Or how do you sort of attract these people who maybe don't want to be part of like the grind of, of agency life anymore? Well, yeah, Entrep- we're, uh, we're originally a French company and entrepreneur has a French root for a reason. It's, uh, it is something, one of the things I love about our company is that we can help people have that real startup spirit inside a very safe environment of a very well-funded, uh, very well-working holding company. You know, when you, you know, I don't need to leave publicists to go and do my, to do my own startup because I've done a startup every year in this company, at least one startup every year in this company for the past three or four years. When we win a new client, that's a startup. It's a new way of working, new models, new leadership teams, new tools, new offices, new library, everything. It's a startup. So I'm, I, I, you know, we've got a bunch of leaders who, when we are putting them in the right position, are basically serial entrepreneurs inside a holding company, which is exactly the, the kind of balance we need. And when you look at talent, you look at um, you know, Neil joining us from Droga 5 to be part of the troop. You mentioned that. You know, I won't say that the holding company, but one of our competitors in December, uh, when they were speaking to investors, used the phrase legacy, legacy creative agencies, legacy creative agencies. You will never, ever, I don't think I'll last long if I do it, you'll never hear my boss put the word legacy and creative in the same sentence. Creativity is certainly part of our, our history, but it is a much bigger part of our future. And Latruc is a good example. So you mentioned it. Latruc is, an, uh, is, a, is frankly an experiment um, because what a great time to do it when, when, when we've been liberated from the norms of, wait a second, if people left all their offices and all of these kind of things are still working, what if when we put it back together again, we put it back in a different way? What if we put creative people with other creative people and not just the same kind of creative people, but makers. So they're around the corner from that with musicians, with designers, with physical experience designers, and what might actually happen when we do that. And so Latruc is about making that creative collective come to life when we can start to be physically back together again in what will be an extraordinary space in New York. And there's going to be between 400 and 600 people together. And that's going to be the place, you know, what do you want to be? a place of the best creative in the world when they're 24 years old and they're into their second gig, wakes up in the morning and says, maybe if I'm good enough, one day I can work for dot, dot, dot. And we need that dot, dot, dot to be publicist. We need that dot, mm. dot, dot to be Latruc when you're a creative. And mm. these are the stories that we're building. Um, but uh, legacy and creative, come on. Creativity, <laughs> creativity is the last great unfair advantage of a brand. And, that and, and that's what we need to be doing. Data is lovely. Fantastic. Technology is lovely at superpowers, but creativity. You know, there's no point being really, really smart if you're also not interesting. And we have to right. be both. Right. Do you see more opportunities to create collectives like this in other areas of the business? Or is this really a specific thing that will unlock creativity? Well, like I said, we're going to do it and learn. This is, this is suck it and see. It's a big call. I mean, we've made some really big hires and that's not, and they've joined because they believe having met people like Carla, who will run uh, the troop with Neil from, from who's come across from Joker five, um, you know, meeting, a, just spending 10 minutes with Artur Sardouin 
will make you feel like coming and joining our company. I mean, he's, he's an extraordinary CEO and we're so lucky to have him leading us. You know, mm. the, 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 there's, there is a sense of, uh, like you said, there's a sense of a startup. You, know, you come and come and don't do a startup. Come and do your startup. It's called publicists. We're always we're always in beta, and um, we're just experimenting, finding new things. I think we're going to learn a lot from the trick. We learn every single time we do a bespoke agency. When we did PG One for Potter and Gamble five years ago, we learned. We did a meal for Mercedes Benz the year after. We've done one touch for Beiersdorf. There's some very big pitches now. We'll see how they land. And each time we learn, each time we iterate, each time we change. Mm. Um, and it's not going to come from merging brands or losing brands. It's come from putting talent together in a way that makes sense to help our clients grow. Right. Um, so you, you brought up pitching again, and I know that's a big focus of your job. And I like to end these podcasts with a little bit of a crystal ball question. Um, (laughs) (laughs) um, what do you think the, I know, I know you mentioned before that, you know, pitching is when you kind of bring out your A game. It's when you, it's how you stay sharp as an agency. It's how you come up with new ideas, but pitching is also really hard, right? Like you don't get paid for it. You, it takes a lot of work. It takes a lot of energy. Um, as you know, clients sort of consolidate more business across holding companies as they do more project work. Do you think that pitching still has a place in the industry and, and will be how assignments get, you know, won and, and lost in this business in the future? A hundred percent it will. And we welcome it. Um, because we do get paid in pitching. You, know, you get paid in a lot of different things. We may not get paid we, we may not get paid money to pitch, but we get paid in skill. Because we work out, we walk, we walk away from every pitch, win or lose, better. And so, I genuinely mean it is truly pitching is about sharpening our saw every single time. It's sharpening the saw on a small part of the business, new clients we might win, so we can have a sharp saw to do better work for all the clients we already have, which are always our number one priority. Mm-hmm. So, I hope pitching persists. I look forward to doing it again in a physical room, because I think that there's a you know of of. Of the five senses, the sense that I'm paid for is the one sitting in the middle of my face, my nose. And it's it's the one that doesn't work in this world, okay, because mm-hmm. you can't feel what a, a client's pain or pleasure uh, as much as if you're sitting with them and having a cup of coffee. So I look forward to those aspects of the world opening up. But, um, uh, I, but I also don't see pitching as a burden of the business. Pitching mm-hmm. is the crucible within which we find out whether what we're doing is right. And when, when you have big brands asking big questions, that's when it becomes the most interesting. So there'll be a few of those this year and it'll be fun. Well, I'll be looking out for them. And um, I guess we'll leave it there in terms of let's hope the world opens up again. We can get you on a plane to a pitch <laughs> soon. <laughs> I would love that. I would love that. All right. Well, thank you so much, Justin. It was great to have you. Thank you, Alison. I really enjoyed that. Take care. That's all the time we have this week. Thanks for tuning in to Campaign Chemistry, and we'll see you next time.